This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, it's one of our special interview pods, so let's dispense with the, what have you been doing since we last spoke? Because we last spoke about 90 seconds ago, uh, oddly, about basketball and the size of my microphone. That's a very, <laughs> very male conversation, but anything interesting happened in the, in the last 90 seconds? No, no, no. Yeah, me. World, world's most boring man. Nothing ever happens. Nothing exciting happens to me. <laughs> Anybody who's been to one of our live shows recently, Kieran, will be disputing that fact, even as as you speak. Uh, as I say, it is a special interview today, and it's a really interesting one. We, uh, this is a spoiler alert. We've just recorded the interview, um, and it was really interesting. It was with a chap called Josh Charalambus, who's a partner in the law firm... RPC and Josh is a specialist in in sports arbitration in sports panels but mainly in investment into football clubs and he gave us some great insight really interesting insight this is what Josh had to say Josh thank you so much for joining us this morning we're looking forward to talking to you about all things football club investment. But before we do that, let's do what we always do and ask you to talk us through a little bit your extensive CV, but focusing on your current work in football investment and commercial regulation. Perfect. Yeah. And thank you very much, guys, for having me. So I'm a partner in a law firm in London. The law firm's called RPC, and I've been working there for about nine years. And the most of the investment work I do in football is primarily related around buying and selling football clubs and or helping people get money into clubs and or clubs get money into them so that they can um, uh, they can they can spend some cash often or, uh, or, or make the most um, commercially of um, the opportunities that they've got in front of them so that's me and the obviously the important question the one that our listeners really want to know is who do you support I'm a Leeds fan so um, yeah d- Dirty Leeds, although I hasten to say I, I wasn't in um, I wasn't in Jersey, so it, it wasn't me, Kieran. Before uh, we get the interview off to a bad start, <laughs> we shall we shall explain that to uh, baffled new listeners at a different time. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm very glad you. Just, I like the fact that you're a little bit scared of Kieran, and you had to get that in early in the interview, Josh. I did. I, I definitely didn't want a Paxman, uh, a Paxman uh, <laughs> rendition from from Kieran. So I thought I'd try and try and get him on side early. Oh well, I'll, I'll do the Paxman twenty seven times. Was it you, Josh? Was it you, Josh? Yeah. <laughs> I've never been to Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> um, Josh, we've spoken a lot on the pod in the past four years, and, and in our latest book about the change in football club ownership models. But whether you're a, a, a local businessman made good, uh, an international investor, or a nation state, football clubs rarely make money. So, what's in it for investors? Yeah, it's a good. It is a it's a really good question because may, maybe football clubs are not the most attractive when it comes to opportunities to make a profit on a PNL basis. I, I still think that people look at football clubs as an opportunity to grow grow value so um if they can fund the 
they can fund the losses or break even and, and grow the value of, of, uh, of the club, then they, they see that as obviously a, an opportunity to make a, to make a profit. So I think, I think profits, whether rightly or wrongly is uh, on the list still for investors in terms of um, uh, an ability to, 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 to make money on their investment. But there are definitely other, other factors to it. There are people who just want to be associated with a football club. You get the sort of, a, so the brand association benefits, you might have, other reputational benefits of being associated with with a football club and then like you say you know potentially personal interests as well i'm sure that there are some owners who are very altruistic and believe in giving back to the community probably also some owners that have a bit of an ego trip and you know want to be the ones to have saved the club so so there obviously are those dynamics but i think the the, the view that you can still make a profit from buying and, and, and selling a club rather than, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's pretty difficult to, to, to run, you know, clubs on a, on a P&L profit basis. Um, but I think the, that, that kind of making money by association is, is probably one, one of the big, big ones. Do you often find, Josh, that there's a, a naivety from some of the people who approach you for help in investing in football clubs because it does seem to us as outsiders that clever grown-up business people seem to lose their head a little bit when it comes to investing in in football clubs and they make decisions that they wouldn't make about buying other businesses yeah i mean there's i think there's definitely um there's definitely an emotional aspect to investing in football which you don't often see in other sectors or we don't see perhaps as often in other sectors that's a bit less so when you have institutional investors, if you have private equity or venture capital in there. But when you have rich individuals or individuals who are able to control a lot of the cash, then you, you do sometimes have some interesting decisions. And and those interesting decisions come right at the beginning when people express an interest in a club. But I can't I can't keep count of the number of times when at, on, acting on club side. Somebody comes along and says, you know, they they're, they're interested, and you know, you say you ask for proof of funds, and they they sort of go, oh, I you know, I didn't realise I'd have to do that so quickly, or I didn't realise I'd have to kind of show the, the cash so 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 early on, and um, you'd have thought um, in other sectors that would be quite fundamental, but it, it is um, it is quite shocking um, actually on, on that side of things. I mean. Thank, thankfully, um, once you get past that process, you have all of the other joys and, and dramas and, and those sort of interesting decision-making um, points that you make really come in come into fruition af- after they've taken con- taken control. So, yeah, I, I, I think it, it can make people go a bit disorientated. I, I, I'm a bit taken aback by that. I think Kieran will be less surprised by that than I am, but that's almost like me asking an estate agent if I can see a three million pound house just because I want to have a look around it knowing that I've got no intention of of buying it that's very interesting Um, are there any current obvious trends Josh in the types of investment we're seeing at the moment yeah you're you're right it is a bit like going to an estate agent without the money or or (laughs) test driving a Ferrari when you think you're going to be able to get your finance sorted later but but you don't um yeah the not that i do that obviously the um yeah i mean i think if you're going to pick three big trends in the in the types of investment we're we're definitely still seeing a lot of private equity and and venture capital investment in football and largely i think that's because they obviously have mandates to invest money in areas where they think that they can influence growth and 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 kind of bring a professionalization to the table so that trend is is absolutely still still on the rise. There has been quite a lot made of different consortia or consortiums. I don't know what the correct Latin is. So I should probably should as a lawyer, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> made up of m- multiple multiple parties where, where the money's coming from lots of different places and some people are bringing um, skills, some people are bringing profile some people are bringing cash and you're kind of putting these people together um and looking to make big investments i mean that that's particularly common on on sort of either projects which require big capital investment to make a difference maybe because the club is so big think think chelsea or um 
where a lot of it, capital investments needed to change the dial and get clubs out of out of a league. Think uh, think Leeds, think think Wrexham. I don't think I'd ever thought I would ever say think Leeds and think Wrexham in the same <laughs> sentence, but I'm saying it now. Obviously, that's the that's the uh, a reflection yeah. a reflection of the of that trend. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, and then and then obviously, I think you touched on it before. You. you the, the kind of th- there are still the ultra high net worths and the and all the nation states influence um you know and, um i think that uh that third limb is really the um reflective of that kind of trying to make money by association sort of using the um or enhance a reputation by association piece uh, don't worry about the leeds rexham thing josh you'll be you'll be back in the premier league soon just short shortly after you've sued everton out of it You'll be fine. Yeah, I think we're probably third in the queue, Kevin, for that on that yeah. one <laughs> behind yeah, Burnley we, and uh, yeah, and we, the others. We, we may come back to that later, Josh. Um, Kieran and I have discussed this before on the pod, but what what do you think makes a club attractive to investors? Without obviously naming any specific clubs, what what are the circumstances in which an investor would go? This is uh, potentially a very good investment, and. I, I presume in that club doesn't necessarily have to be in the Premier League for it to be potentially a very good investment. No, no, often, often they're not. You know, often a club is maybe they've been relegated from the Premier League or relegated out of the Premier League and in the Championship, but have um, some existing infrastructure, have a big, you know, an existing sort of um, loyal and, and and big fan base that might make them attractive. I think, I think if we're going to loop back to those kind of um, the core reasons why people are looking at football, the, the, the chance of making uh, profit on the growth, the kind of purchase and, and sale, the, the, there are some quite attractive options, I think, in the championship and in League One for people who have enough money to be, be able to ride the, the, the funding and the, the losses that they're probably going to be um, incurring at the moment. And for a comparatively modest amount, can try to... Um, can try to invest in the squad and and get and, and kind of get them up um, and sort of make them uh, get them ready for I guess an, an onward investment or a, or a kind of a, a bigger investment. So I think I think we're seeing probably most of the deals at our end anyway are seem to be pol- polarized. We have lots of interest in clubs who are lower down the pyramid who who um, even if they've got a bit some debt that needs clearing. Um, there's this there's, there's a clear opportunity to invest in the squad uh, and make a make a big difference early um and then at the other end of the extreme the sort of other activity teams seems to be the kind of clubs where you know they're probably being valued in the in the sort of many hundreds of several hundreds of millions um and i think that's because the um the the, the attraction there is that those clubs are you know one or two transfer windows or a stadium redevelopment or an enhancement to the infrastructure away from uh, really kind of growing the value and people want want to be associated with that um, with that journey so probably the po- the polarized ends of the spectrum are, are where people are currently lo- looking where we're seeing the most activity uh, and I think you know slight elephant in the room when we've when we've talked about Everton um obviously because that they've got their their points deduction um, at least at the time of recording and um profit and sustainability compliance and where you are uh, on the on the PS journey is also quite important I think to investors because if you're bringing cash to the table and you want to see um you know an instant hit of your from your investment you don't want to be necessarily hamstrung by spending um, of previous regimes we, we we definitely will be tackling the elephant in the room i'm i'm taking a big deep breath before we approach the the elephant in the room but i kieran i'd like to bring you in in here because you've um you know, you've advised clubs and investors so you, you you've seen both sides of this argument when when josh talks about an instant here how how long is instant can you define what instant is for investors in other words how long would it take for an investor do you think to to suddenly start getting suspicious that he might not be getting their money back or she might not be getting their money back well if you take a look at newcastle united instant was within two or three transfer windows it went from a club that was if we're honest part of the other 14 to to a club which is now in the 
Champions League and is, is doing very well this season as well. So I think that's indicative of not just spending money, but spending money well. That that can work. Then you've probably probably got other clubs, the likes of you know, Derby County, I think, is a good example of where somebody came in, put a lot of money in, and then realised after four or five years, probably with the nagging of the children saying, Dad, that's our inheritance that is is disappearing very, very quickly, that this isn't working. And they took an exit route of going via administration. So it doesn't have to be very long. It, it's a case of employing the right people to make the right decisions. Um, and then you can get that return. But I, I'd absolutely agree with Josh in terms of the bits in between can be quite horrendous. It's a bit like buying a racehorse. Um, you know, the, the the two best days are the day you buy it and the day you sell it. The bits in between tend to be quite expensive. But if you have enough success in between, then you can put it out to start and get your money back in exactly the same way that you can sell the club at a, at a higher price. I, I One day we will buy a racehorse. Once they made the film of this pod, Kieran, we'll buy a racehorse and then we'll, then we'll have a massive falling out like Alex Ferguson, <laughs> Man United. And if something's just occurred to me, Josh, um, off the back of you talking about the multi-million end scale, uh, John Texter, who owns 40% of my club, Crystal Palace, recently said out loud that he regretted not buying it outright because he he felt that he now owns 40% of a club and has less than 10% influence. And we've just seen Jim Ratcliffe buying 25% of Manchester United. Might he regret that then in, in terms of what John Texter said about not buying a club outright? I suppose the devil will be in the detail of the of the investment from 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 Sir Jim Ratcliffe as to what does he get other than a shareholding for his investment? Does is he going to be getting some kind of special uh, special voting rights on certain decisions? You know, um, has some of the money being earmarked been earmarked for projects that he will have decision making power in? You know, in terms of in, investing in the stadium. So um, I think the the answer is the classic um, lawyer's answer, which I always hate giving, but you know, depends, I suppose. But the um, um, but it's 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 such a good it is such a good point and i always default back to my my club which is you know Leeds united and 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 when andrea radrizani bought the club he bought it outright and then in the periods between between that and him selling he, there'd obviously been disposals of part of the part of the shareholding to the 49ers enterprises and 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 there was a period of time where the ratio of ownership was much closer to that kind of 40 45% as a minor, you know, a very significant and an influential minority shareholder, but not the people who are driving, you know, who are at the wheel drive, driving the car, and Leeds got relegated, you know, and 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 that was probably um, in no small part down to the fact that you 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 didn't have an obvious person at the helm who knew that they were going to be there in the future and had and had control and in, in, in that decision making so um it's not surprising to me um that mr Taxter has, has said that or, or or that that's the view but um you know i suppose hindsight's a, a wonderful thing and, and um maybe he also would have benefited from having a 100 percent or, or, or more control earlier because you'd have thought crystal palace's um, value may have grown in that period of time as as well very well done for saying it depends. Uh, you, I hope you notice you got a, a mild, <laughs> you got a smattering of applause there for Kieran and I. Like you just hit a four through the covers at Lords on the second day of a county test match. <laughs> it's, it's we we always like to hear our lawyers confirm everything we suspect about them. Exactly, and and you'll get you you, you won't get an invoice for that. Don't worry. <laughs> Josh, uh, what what about clubs like Ipswich, Josh, who are acquired? As part of a, a pension fund, essentially, do do fans of Ipswich and other clubs just have to accept that they will be sold off as soon as the owners sniff enough of a profit to get rid? I suppose it depends. Yeah, I suppose it depends again, doesn't it? But yeah, but yes, um, you know, uh, if you're if you're if you're a fan, but I mean, the, the context for Ipswich, I suppose, is slightly different in that they were. Um, they probably felt at rock bottom, didn't they? But um, and uh, 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 now seeing the benefits of having some stability um, at the club. They are 
have been going going toe to toe with um you know with a Leicester side who have just dropped down from the Premier League with with a very expensive squad and Ipswich are sort of doing that kind of bounce bounce up and then kind of take that momentum going forward so maybe if you straw polled the fans now maybe they'd be happy with the fact that that, that they've got a, a decent shot at um being uh, uh, kind of putting themselves in the shop window i suppose for in, for investors um uh, will it, it's never nice is it as a fan base to feel like your club is sort of constantly on the market or about to change hands and it doesn't offer that kind of long term view but but maybe with ipswich the context is 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 more that it, it feels a bit more consolidated and and at least kind of on the pitch it feels it feels positive but it, but it, you know it is an issue. You know you do have clubs that are that it feels like they're on the market all the time, or who feel like they're they're constantly um, they're constantly changing hands. And and um, you, you, if you're owned by a group who um, obviously owe their interests to the people who are invested in in those pension schemes, for, for example, um, you know it, you don't have necessarily the the passion project of the local businessman or the the the, 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 the diehard Ipswich fan who's always wanted um, and uh, uh, them to succeed and will always be there for them. So I, I can totally see it. Um, I can totally see, yeah, what you're saying. But I, I suppose as well, Josh, coming back to an earlier discussion, you have to congratulate the investors and whoever advised the investors into Ipswich because notwithstanding their tremendous history, that was essentially the 60s and 70s. So they wouldn't have been high on my list of potential massive investments, but it really has it really has paid off for them though, hasn't it? So somebody clearly did their homework and their research and thought this is a, this is a, a potentially, cynically, a big profit, but also a big project. Yeah, com- c- completely. And, you know, um, I, I, I often think of Wrexham as the, the other example. I mean, was Wrexham going to be sort of high on the list of... of- candidates for people we thought were going to get bought out by Hollywood stars probably 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 not I mean as expert as um, as, as as Kieran is and, and, and as you are on the pod uh, I'm not sure that was being um, trailed a, a year in a, a year in advance as being a, a, a club where we thought the the investment was going to come in and people have obviously done their homework there um, you know m- m- maybe there's an element of, of hindsight on, on on the Ipswich um, on the Ipswich deal because um, it has gone so well for them on the pitch, and we we all know that investment and money doesn't always necessarily result in um, uh, in good decision making uh, and good and good outcomes uh, on the pitch. But but I th- I think it certainly helps, and uh, and like you say, you know, it's um, it, it it was a, a stroke of genius um, uh, in many ways because they probably picked up the club at, at a price um, which they just would not have been able to have done. Previously, you know, when Ipswich were kind of, sort of stalwarts of the championship and 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 kind of um, in and around the Premier League. Uh, thank you so much for referring to me as an expert, Josh. I'm going to get producer guy to clip that and play <laughs> at the start of every pod we do. Kieran's got now got a face like a wet weekend in Grimsby, but you know, apart from that, it's fine. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy, you go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. I was looking at your website last night, the website of RPC, the the company in which you are a partner. And what I found really interesting is the statistic that 48% of deals targeting European clubs last year were as part of multi-club deals. Will that figure be getting higher in future, do you think? Well, I think... I think it's a trend that's here to stay. I mean, uh, it's obviously not a brand new thing, multi-club ownership, and 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 often you have this this squeeze, the sort of growth and contraction squeeze between um, lots more multi-club um, structures being in place, and then sports regulations almost catching up and deciding, well, we can't quite have this happening like that, or that these rules need to change to make sure that we 
are keeping everything competitive you know and um even even this for this coming season uefa had to uh, publish a decision that said look we've been and spoken to the, th- the three or four clubs who are subject to multi-club ownership and we've had to make sure we get the kind of reassurance that there's going to be no crossover of control or, or, or nothing untoward going on you know aston villa were, were one of those clubs and they you know they had to they had to basically get uefa comfortable with with the position that they were in and um the so 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 it's so it's not like it's new but it's certainly a growing trend and and i think the data bears that out I, I think it's going to continue to rise. And I think we're also going to see a rise in, a continued rise in the kind of multi-sport offering as as well. So so effectively almost as, as, as a lot of the leagues, even if they're not adopting a franchise model, but lots of kind of competitions and leagues across the kind of um, major team sports start to look and feel a bit more like they could end up with a franchise model. You may well see people wanting to um, harmonize brands acro- across those competitions or at least have um, you know create synergies between them you know Jim Ratcliffe's investment um, we don't know or I don't know at least when we're recording whether that's in his personal capacity or as or, or, or whether it's an Ineos um, in investment but obviously Ineos have got sailing and Formula One and other football other football teams as well you have the investment into Alpine Formula One that contained obviously people who have stakes in Liverpool, people who have the, the obviously the, the, the Wrexham guys, Bristol Road, Brist, sorry Bristol um, Bristol Sports that's got Bristol City, it's got Bristol um, Bears Rugby, it's got a basketball team. You know, it's not it, it, it's something I I think we we may see as as the brand becomes um, uh, becomes important. I, I think. Multi clubs going to rise, and I think I think multi sport as well. Kieran, can I just bring you on briefly on a point Josh made there? Because I know uh, you make a study, uh, possibly overstudy of FIFA and UEFA. Do you think there is a genuine? Uh, do you think there is a genuine fear at UEFA that a multi club model, if, if it gets big enough, that might actually challenge UEFA's authority? I mean, if you've got three clubs that end up owning 40 clubs in Europe. Do you think that could be, become a, almost a separate entity that would challenge UEFA? I, I don't think so, because there will be significant opposition prior to getting that far. We, we've seen, as Josh said, that they've uh, made both the owners of Aston Villa and Tony Bloom at Brighton get rid of their investments because of potential conflicts of interest. Where I find it intriguing is where we're going to stand from a FIFA point of view. Because FIFA are incredibly jealous of UEFA. UEFA make a fortune every year from the Champions League, and they make a lot of money once every four years from uh, the, the the European Championships. The um, Whereas FIFA are just making money once every four years. So they're trying to bring in the FIFA World Club Cup. Now, that's going to involve 32 teams, and there, I think the opportunities to have conflicts of interest, because what we are seeing as far as the MCO is concerned, is that you've got the owners buying one club in South America, one in Asia, one in the Middle East, one in, one here and there. Well, with 32 teams now competing, you could see two clubs owned by PIF or the, the City Football Group uh, be drawn together. And what is FIFA's response going to be? I think anybody that's observed FIFA behaviour historically will be that there will be a a large broom, a bit of carpet, <laughs> um, and uh, a, a money money solves everything. But I think the integrity of the sport would be called into question as a result. Mm. Uh, Josh, amongst our listeners and the wider football world, there's been a lot of... I wouldn't say interest, but I think the actual word is paranoia about increased US investment in English football, as we've seen with your club, Dirty Leeds, of course. What are your views? I mean, is that? I mean, there's you, you hear this conspiracy theory time and time again. As soon as the Americans own 14 Premier League clubs, that will be it. It'll be closed off. It'll be franchises. It's not a view I agree with, but I'm just interested in your views and why 
the US are not all of a sudden, but I'm increasingly looking to the, the Premier League and English football to invest in. Well, I, I, I think English football presents um, an opportunity to get in front of eyeballs and growth and reach audiences, which, um, you know, if you are um, looking at people who already own teams or clubs or franchises in, in the US and, and, and are kind of wanting to invest in, in English football, that, that looks very attractive. And I think they see a lot of opportunity, a lot of opportunity for growth. And also we've we've been we've been in a phase where from a uh, from an economic perspective and from a currency perspective the US dollar has gone further um uh, has gone further in recent years than may- maybe it would have done uh, maybe it would have done before so the cost of buying in uh, an English football club uh, may not have been as daunting um when you kind of look at some of the uh, the numbers which were uh, you know which are, are, are sort of banded around in in the US uh, I, I completely get the the point that's made about about the concern. I, I think if you were building English football from scratch with, say, US owners of fourteen of the clubs, do I think they would have a closed league and a franchise model and make it feel very like like that a lot of the competitions in the US? Probably, you know, that probably is what they they, they would do. I think the fallout from the Super League, though, showed just how difficult and and hard and how unpopular that that would be. And so a lot of the noises that we hear from, you know, US investors, um, both on both sides of, of a deal, you know we get it we understand we can't replicate the u.s model exactly here there are probably some things that we do in the u.s that we think would be um would be well received in england especially around the the development of the state of stadia and infrastructure and and facilities and and kind of fan experience i think that that, that there's a lot which they feel that they can bring to the party um but i'm i'm not sure I'm not sure we will we will see um, either a decrease in 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 the U.S. investment because they don't think they can have a closed league or some kind of you know conspiracy necessarily work, working in the background. I mean, it was so unpopular. I mean, the fact that we've had a conservative government saying they want greater regulation in an in an area where it's so traditionally been self-regulated, I. I I think that speaks volumes about about what the um, the response would be if uh, if fourteen of the clubs became owned by by um, uh, by US owners and they decided to uh, to to take the Premier League uh, uh, in a different direction. But the European Super League, though, Josh, is exactly what you've, you you described. It's it's a closed league with guaranteed revenue streams. So surely that would be an ideal investment opportunity for Americans, wouldn't it? Well, it, it may well be ideal if it existed and was ready, and that wasn't, and it wasn't going to result in the fa- in the fa- in the in the fa- in, in a fan in a fan mutiny. Um, so, 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 I, I, I suppose that's the point. I, I, I think if they were going to be able to start from ground zero and pick a model, you know, maybe it wouldn't be the model that we have now. But I think they, um, I think, I think they may be, uh, I think they may be stuck stuck with it. I mean, I, you know, and of course, the advocates for the the Super League were largely the non-English European clubs who saw an opportunity. Um, uh, maybe they saw an opportunity to create the franchise model because they thought it would also be very attractive to um, to, to investors, whether from the US or outside, or uh, or maybe they just saw um, um, maybe they just saw some dollar signs. Who knows? You you lawyers and your technicalities. It doesn't exist. It's a mere technicality, Josh. That's true. That is true. We're not very creative Um, in our thinking, are we? There's also... (laughs) No, it's just the fact the way you slapped me down with three reasons why it wouldn't happen. The first being the Super League doesn't exist and never will. (laughs) I I thought that was really well done. Well well handled, sir. Um, We've also seen, Josh, and this is my penultimate questions. You've given us a lot of time. Uh, and we're always rather edgy when we go overtime with lawyers, <laughs> but we've we've seen big potential. We've seen big potential U.S. investment in uh, Lewis Women's Football Club. 
Is that another trend you can see continuing, or is is one example of interest in the women's football club too too soon to call it a trend? I don't think it's too soon to call it a trend. I mean, maybe talking about Lewis as a trend, maybe because Lewis is by design, by nature, the way that they are, and you know, I've, the people who who are running the show there are super impressive people. There aren't twenty Lewises, you know. There's there's one, so. Um, that's probably why they're so attractive to um to, to investment but the broader the broad, broader principle of of um of looking to invest in women's football or clubs which have got su- successful women's teams or an ability to um to to invest in in the women's uh, side of uh, of a club uh, and achieve promotions uh, and growth there is something that we are seeing a lot more activity in actually both in terms of real work that's coming through the door but also actually when you're out and about at events you know I I was at the leaders in sport conference and basically every other session was all around investment in women's sport and the growth of um, the growth of of the women's game and um, that just would not have been the case at that conference two years ago three years ago you know it's 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 um it, it there's a there's a there's a significant amount of it of momentum in women's sport generally you know we've just had the launch of premiership women's rugby at the weekend uh, um it's and we've got the women's world cup in in the rugby coming um coming up soon as, as well in, in in the coming years it's 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 a train that everybody really wants to be on and i think we're seeing that in terms of activity the numbers at the moment in terms of the amounts that people are but paying for clubs or or, or investing um whether as partnerships or corporate deals are obviously not yet at a level that people would necessarily want them to be at, but it is absolutely heading in that direction. And I think, I think the the Lewis deal is, um, is, is, is a really good example, a really good example of, um, of, of, of people backing, backing that horse. And by all accounts, Mercury 13 look and sound pretty serious about the investment and the, and the and the capital that they want to bring to the market. So I think we can I think we can see a, a lot more there. It's it's very good to hear you say, Josh. That there is much more interest in investing in women's sport, but presumably those who do invest in women's sport will have to be even more patient in terms of getting a return on that investment than people who are currently investing in men's football. Will they? That is a good question um, because I suppose. Different people have different patience tolerance levels, don't d- d- don't they? I, I I think probably yes, but I think there's a lot more um, people are going in with a much more open mind and positive and optimistic mind about the journey that they're going to, they're going to be going on. And whereas I think perhaps in some of the investment in men's football, we were talking earlier about what what does it mean to have an instant hit or what does it mean to see an immediate return or or or, or or a quick return on, on investment. Um, I, I don't think that that is going to be obsessing the people who are investing in women's football at the moment in the same way. So I, I think on balance, pro- probably, um, I actually think patience is key in any investment. It's just that people perhaps don't have as much patience with investment in um, uh, in, in the kind of passion projects of, of, of the men's game. But, but you know, that's a, I suppose that's a personal opinion, um, just based on, on what we're seeing, and, and, and maybe maybe others uh, perceive that differently. Finally, Josh, let's approach the elephant in the room with uh, with some caution. Let's <laughs> tiptoe sideways on to the elephant in the room. I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about the Everton story, Josh, because you you are somebody with extensive experience of arbitration panels as well as football investment. So, as we speak, it's it's Friday. It's a week since the ten point deduction. We don't know the outcome of any potential appeal. But as of this moment, what do you think, or how do you think, the points deduction will affect the attitude of seven seven seven, or indeed the asking price of Everton Football Club, and probably also the onward investment or other investment 777 may well be looking for um uh, uh, as well and i think it's all probably wrapped up in in the same point it's very rare 
I mean, I've never personally come across it in in day-to-day work that when you have a deal on the table where there's a known risk of something big happening to create a liability for, for, the, for the company that's been bought that you don't thrash out in advance the different permutations of, of what you're going to do about it. And so, and, and there, there are many different ways of, of dealing with a liability like this. It, it may be to reduce the price. It may be to keep the price at the level it was, but say that the previous owner or the seller has to bear the costs associated with any losses which, which come as a result. That's a bit trickier when you have a points deduction, of course, because you don't know necessarily until the end of the season what what financial impact it may have had. Maybe it just means that you finished a few places lower than you thought you were going to do. So you're just really looking at prize money difference. You know, you get awarded um, prize money based on, on a place. But it, but it may be that you get relegated. And how do you go about quantifying that? That's quite difficult. Um, that's quite a difficult thing to do. It's, it's possible. It's definitely possible because um, we see quite a lot of uh, claims from clubs who have been relegated and decide to blame everybody else apart from themselves. So you see these private arbitration claims uh, coming in with uh, some, some grand numbers around loss of chance. Yeah, I, I've been relegated to League One or I've been relegated to League Two. And if it wasn't for you dastardly accountants or advisors giving me <laughs> terrible advice uh, you know we would have we would have made it to the premier league wouldn't we um so you so so yeah, so so yeah. it's all about how how easily can you quantify and understand what the liability is and 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 with with everton i imagine that nothing will happen straight away i i imagine that that the either the the asking price was lowered or there's a there's a strict mechanism that's been agreed and part of that mechanism may well be that you know the the sellers of Everton need to fund um, and seek to appeal the decision and reduce the reduce the sanction. I think once you've exhausted rights of challenge, and you probably see where the dust lies either at the end of the season or or, or you can probably you know take a view now. At, you know if, if it's a three point deduction, you know may, maybe that maybe they built in a tolerance and say if, if we're going to be deducted more than five points then this happens if it's less than five points then then that happens um so but 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 one thing for sure unless there's um lots of people have been negligent in which case there's, there's more issues to deal with um it's been thought about and dealt with and 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 and, and, and sort of proactively thought about in, in advance i um that's the bit i was really interested in josh and you've you've preempted um, my final question. Uh, so w- we can assume then that if 777 did their proper due diligence or were properly advised, they would have been fully aware that there was a Premier League investigation going on and that there are a range of outcomes and therefore the initial deal would have would have uh, in- encompassed that information. I, I think so. I mean, there's been no suggestion that Good. Well, okay. well, well, well. I mean, when when Burnley got relegated before, and and I, and, and you know, there was there was all of the, the there was a lot of chat about whether people would be um, challenging the Premier League's decision not to have charged Everton back back in that season. I, I remember saying then because one of the defences from Everton at that time, which you obviously can't really look at in any detail until you see the full written reasons and and decision of a panel. So you you. It's one of my big bugbears, actually, of sports disputes is you never really know what's going on until you kind of have the the sort of um, head coming above the parapet every so often. But the um, what, what happened there, I remember saying then, Everton say that they've told the Premier League all about all of this, so it's going to be fine. And I, I found that quite a challenging thing to, to reconcile. So um, even then, people knew that there was an issue that was likely to be being investigated by the Premier League. So there's no suggestion, for example, in this deal, 777 have been, you know, it's been kept from them or there's been some kind of hiding of the fact that this was going on. So I, I think they must have been told and kept up to date by um, by the club or, or certainly should have should have been. And, 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 and you know, if properly advised, um, as I'm sure they, they must have been, they will have pre- preempted different permutations uh, not all sometimes the permutations don't actually cover every eventuality and you may end up sort of falling between um falling between two different scenarios and that can sometimes be a, 
a problem. But I would expect in this case, they all know what's going to happen. It's it's just um, the Everton fans probably don't know, and certainly we don't know what what they've agreed and, and how they're going to how they're going to divvy it up. Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. It's some real insight into some issues that I've been struggling with lately. So I really thank you for that. And thank you for your time. And I've got no doubt that we'll be trying to get in touch with you again in the future for uh, even more chat and insight. Thank you so much. No, thank you very, very much for having me. Kieran, I was particularly interested, uh, well, in everything Josh had to say, but um, when we eventually got to the elephant in the room, I was particularly interested to hear Josh say something that we've heard all sorts of things about 777 that would indicate that perhaps uh, they don't operate as other companies do. So I was interested to hear that he said they would have done absolute due diligence beforehand and they would have known absolutely that there is an issue ongoing at Everton Football Club and that they would have gone through a range of options as to what would happen when that issue was resolved. But suddenly, as Josh finished his answer, then made me wonder whether that's one of the reasons 777 landed on Everton in the first place because they thought there might be circumstances in which they could offer a much lower asking price. Well, any opportunity to lower the price will always be seized upon. Um, but I, I agree entirely with Josh. They, they will have done their homework. Um, and it, with, with respect to that, they'll have looked at a potential loss of income in future years, which could include relegation. Yep. First of all... I, Everton aren't going to get relegated, even even with a put ten point penalty. And and you know my gut feeling is that that ten point penalty will be reduced on appeal. Um, but uh, they they you know it's part of negotiation. You know when when you're buying or selling a house or a car, you'll you'll always find something to say. Well, the price needs to go down. Um, the fact that there could be a a further financial settlement between Everton and other clubs. I think the way that Josh described it was 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 valid, and we we've seen similar things in respect of sort of positive earnouts when when I've looked at deals um, when new owners have come in that they've offered to yeah they've said we'll pay X and we'll pay an additional such and such if the club's promoted within the next three years so that that can work on both a positive and a negative format. Interesting as well, I thought Josh's response to my. Well, also, I like the fact the technicality that the European Super League doesn't exist and will never exist. <laughs> that, was, that was a lovely, gentle little slap down there. But I thought it was very interesting talking about the the paranoia about you know fourteen Premier League clubs being American owned and potential changes. When he pointed out that a, a, a government, um, a party that normally. I think the word light touch is what they say. There's a government that, that prefers a light touch when it comes to financial regulation is only too happy to to have a regulator for the Premier League. I thought that was a very interesting point. Yes. I mean, the government will have seen the the extent of the rejection by fans. And also, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of criticism of the sneaky six clubs I don't think enough credit was given to the fans of those clubs who who unified and said, "Yeah, if we if we go ahead with this, if we endorse this, then we get guaranteed European football forever." But they said, "We we we understand the importance of the pyramid. That's what we were brought up on." And you've got Manchester City fans saying, "Look, you know, we were in League One, you know, fifteen twenty years ago." Chelsea fans saying. We remember when we went 50 years without winning anything apart from the odd FA Cup. And they 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 came together. Um, so I think there, there is a degree of comfort there. The, the government isn't going to alienate uh, what every football fan's a voter. So, so why alienate them? Um, where we go forwards in terms of the the Premier League continuing to lobby with regards to the white paper, trying to dilute some of the rules, I think will be an interesting position that 
we'll be having this discussion probably in you know six nine months time when when the legislation has gone through thank you to josh charalambus uh, for that really interesting interview and thank you for saying out loud it depends we appreciate that as well and thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our patreon page if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well that'd be very kind of you and it'll also get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes you can do that by going to patreon.com slash price of football and if you do it in the next few days then you can join our next discord session for our ultras which will be on Tuesday the 28th of November at 7.30pm. Remember, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, on our regular Monday questions pod, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. As we mentioned before, Kieran and I will be in Hastings in December for a book event with the East Sussex Libraries. That's on Wednesday the 13th of December. We'll be talking about our new book, discussing a few pressing football finance matters, of course, as well, giving you a bit of gossip afterwards, no doubt. Uh, you can meet us both, you can grab a copy of the book you can bring a copy with you which we will happily sign although you will notice that in advance kieran has much nicer handwriting than i have and also takes up much more of the page leaving me to squeeze my little <laughs> not that it's an issue but there you go uh, tickets are free for this event because it's a libraries event and kieran and i and producer guy are all very passionate about supporting libraries the tickets are free very limited, so if any of you down in Sussex who love the pod fancy a night out in Hastings for the most exciting thing to happen down there for 967 years, then please click the link in the show notes and register for your ticket. And, of course, if you'd like to buy our latest book or one of our other books or get yourself a Price of Football T-shirt, you can find details on our website, priceoffootball.com. Bye, everybody. Bye. The Price of Football. Buy some football.